Today is a celebration of the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Today is a joyful celebration because Jesus Christ has, in fact, been raised from the dead. The reason we celebrate is because the resurrection is the most significant inflection point of all of human history. C.S. Lewis put it this way. The New Testament writers speak of Christ's achievement in rising from the dead as the first event of its kind. Jesus has forced open a door that has been locked since the death of the first man. Jesus met, fought, and defeated the king of death. The new creation has begun. A new chapter in cosmic history has been opened. That is 100% true and absolutely worth celebrating with great joy this morning. But all the potential glories of a fully redeemed and a fully renewed creation rest on two very basic, very clear, and very physical realities. One, Jesus Christ really died. And two, after laying dead in a tomb for three days, Jesus Christ really rose bodily from the dead. Now, Mitchell and I selected passages, both for Good Friday and this morning for Resurrection Sunday, that illustrate these two verifiable realities as clearly as any scriptures. On Good Friday, Mitchell preached from John 19, 31 through 37. In this passage, the fundamental point is that Jesus died. As he hung lifeless on the cross, having been scourged and crucified, a Roman soldier thrust a spear upward into the side of Jesus to ensure he was verifiably dead. Our passage this morning is John 20, verses 24 through 29. We could argue that the fundamental point of this passage is that Jesus is verifiably alive. It is the story of the Apostle Thomas meeting the risen Christ. A spear thrust into the side of Jesus verified that Jesus was, in fact, dead. And the opportunity to place a hand into the pierced side of the living, breathing, conversing Jesus verifies that he is, in fact, alive again. So before I read our passage, I want to just explain a little bit about what's happened in John's gospel since Jesus has died, so that we can better appreciate the power of the scene that we will see this morning. So Jesus was killed on a Friday. He was prepared for burial and laid in a new tomb and sealed with a massive stone. Three days later, very early Sunday morning, Mary Magdalene, goes to the tomb, but finds the massive stone rolled away. She's shocked, so she runs to tell 
Peter and John. The two guys sprint to the tomb, and since John's writing this particular section, he makes sure everybody knows he beat Peter to the tomb. (laughs) When they get there, they find the linen cloths unraveled. And they find the cloth that was covering Jesus' face neatly folded up and sitting at the end of the bench. But the body of Jesus is gone. The guys decide to head home. But Mary, in her grief, stays to mourn. Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, John 20 and verse 11. And as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. It's kind of that picture of a person just alone, overcome with grief, just standing there, not sure what to do with herself, and just sobbing. And she looks in the tomb. There are two men seated there, dressed in dazzling white. And they ask her, woman, why are you weeping? Before she barely has a chance to answer, she hears someone from behind her. She turns and looks and says, Sir, have you taken away my Lord? And he looks at her and says, Mary. And instantly she knows it is her risen Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So later that evening, on that same night, Despite the fact that they were together in a locked room for fear of the Jews, we read these words. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, came and Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. Which brings us to today's passage, starting in verse 24 of John 20. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails, and place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. And put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet 
have believed. Spirit, would you help us to see the glory of Jesus now more clearly than we ever have in our lives? And Spirit, for those who are seated among us this morning who have never expressed saving faith in Jesus, would you do a miracle now and create life where there is no life and give them the gift of faith? I pray in Jesus' name, amen. So the central idea that we're focusing upon this morning, that we're proclaiming, is simply this. Faith in Jesus is justifiable because he rose from the dead. Faith in Jesus is completely justifiable because Jesus rose from the dead. This morning we'll look at the crisis of faith that Thomas experienced in verses 24 and 25. And then we'll spend some time thinking about this call to faith that Jesus offers in verses 26 through 29. What burden is your heart carrying this morning? The reason I ask that is because though today is a a day of joyful celebration, undoubtedly, many, if not all of us, have some, some thought or some burden, some, some weight or some relationship or some doubt that, that we are also holding in our hearts even as we sit here on this glorious morning, and whatever that is, it's troubling us. It may not be a full-blown crisis of faith, but there might be something very real that is limiting or, or hindering your joy in the resurrection of Jesus, even as we gather here this morning. So as we begin to get a sense of what's happening in our passage, I want you to notice that Thomas wasn't the only one struggling. And I want you to notice something remarkable about Jesus. In the run-up to our verses, did you notice that Mary Magdalene was, was grieving Just sobbing, weeping. And did you notice that Jesus appeared to her? That is, he came to meet her in her pain. The first thing he does in verse 15 is to ask her, Mary, why are you weeping? And then note that the joy of 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 recognizing her now risen Savior absolutely changes everything for her? Or did you notice that the disciples were gathered in a locked 
room, and, and John tells us why. They were scared. They were fearful. They thought the Jews were coming for them next, and they just saw what they did to Jesus. Did you notice that the risen Savior came to meet them where they were, even in that locked room? He met them in their fear and said, peace be with you. Or did you notice that in our verses, Jesus knew that Thomas was, was struggling with, with more than, than doubt? I mean, in verse 25, you can almost feel his anger. You can almost feel the disappointment, the devastation, even his disillusionment. He is broken. And he tells the other apostles, unless, unless I see and put my finger, my hand into his wounds, I will, I will never believe. You know, if you had an opportunity, because you were chronicling these events, and you had an opportunity to interview Thomas for a, a documentary on, on what was happening... I think he would look at the camera. I think he'd say to you, you know, from my perspective, it's kind of unfortunate that I'm referred to as Doubting Thomas. I don't really think that's the issue. I mean, it's bad. It's not as bad as the poor Ethiopian eunuch. We don't even know what his name was. We just know how he was identified. But he says, as it, I can picture him saying, as it, as it relates to doubt, I would consider myself just more of a realist. I remember this story once when, when we were all gathered together, the apostles and I, and, and word came that Lazarus was sick and he eventually died. Well, Lazarus lived in this town called Bethany, which was really close to Jerusalem. And the Jews had just attempted to stone Jesus. And, and yet, Jesus wants to go back. So I'm the one, I'm the one who said to the other guys, let us go that we may die with him. John 11 and verse 16. But my, my point is, I was loyal to Jesus. I believed in him. I believed in him wholeheartedly. People don't remember that as much. I remember another time when Jesus was talking to us and he was explaining that he was going to go away. He said he was going to go to his father's house where there were many rooms. And Jesus said to us, you know the way to where I'm going. And I'm sitting there thinking, not really. So I just said what I was thinking. Lord, 
we don't know where you're going. So how can we know the way? I mean, to me, I was just being practical. We have no idea where you're going, Jesus. So how can we know the way to where you're going? In that moment, Jesus busted out with, well, I am the way, the truth, and the life, which was awesome. I felt like an idiot at the time, but it was awesome. But the point is, imagine not just how devastated everyone was, but imagine loyal, practical, realist Thomas. And imagine the depth of his devastation. He would have been the first to say, brothers, I saw him on Friday. You saw him on Friday. They ripped his skin off. He couldn't finish the walk that Simon guy had to carry his cross. They crucified him. Everyone was just mocking him while he was hanging there. You saw, you saw when the spear pierced his side. The soldier thrust it in. He didn't move. He didn't flinch. He was dead. His lifeless, disfigured corpse was just grotesque. And you're telling me, we saw him. Unless I put my, unless I put my fingers in his wounds or my hand in his side, I'll never believe because I saw him die. In other words, Thomas gets really practical. But in this pit of doubt and despair, Jesus appears to Thomas. And he gives him the opportunity to have all of his doubts addressed directly. Did you notice that in each situation of, of, of the people who were mourning or fearful or doubting or devastated, the very presence of the resurrected Messiah is what, is what changed everything. He can do the very same thing for you this morning. John has been making the case throughout his gospel up to this point, because this is just the crescendo. This is, this is just the climax. John has been making the point throughout his gospel that Jesus is an all-satisfying Savior. So, let me ask you again. What burden is your heart carrying as you sit here this morning? Is it grief or fear? doubt 
or despair or disappointment or anger or regret, guilt for sin, unbearable shame. Whatever your need, my encouragement is to open your heart to your risen Savior that he might bring freedom and joy to you at this very moment. Heed his invitation. Listen for his words. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Hear his voice repeatedly throughout John's gospel. John is presenting him as all satisfying, so he remembers multiple things that Jesus said about himself. I am the bread of life. Jesus is the true manna sent from heaven. He is the one who can provide for all your needs, and he is the all-satisfying ultimate provision for everything, even if you have nothing. I am the light of the world. The risen Christ can shine light into your darkened circumstances, no matter how dark they are. It doesn't matter how dry your soul is. It doesn't matter how practical your realism is or how bleak your situation is. He who once declared, let there be light, can declare, let there be light into your darkened soul. He can look into your dead heart. And as he commanded others, he can say to you, live. Live. This is what he does. He resurrects dead hearts. If he can resurrect dead people, he can resurrect dead hearts. And your dryness is no match for his power. I am the gate for the sheep. Maybe you're sitting here and you don't know God at all. Not really. You certainly wonder if he's ever heard about you. Jesus is the one who can who can care for you and guide you. He is the good shepherd. He, he can make you lie down in green pastures, even in the midst of all the chaos out there. He can make you lie down in green pastures, and he can lead you beside still waters despite, despite the chaos that's operating in here. He can restore your soul and refresh you in your exhaustion. He can lead you in paths of righteousness for his name's sake, no matter what you have done. He can cover your wicked sinfulness with his glorious righteousness, and he can make your righteousness as the waves of the sea. Righteous. Righteous, righteous, righteous. Do you long to be righteous? Yeah. 
Doesn't it more often feel like this? I can't believe I did that again. Not again. And again. And again. When Jesus breathes life into your heart, that can change. And now, righteousness flows. And righteousness flows. And righteousness flows from you because of the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. Though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, he can cause you to fear no evil. No matter how bleak the road looks ahead, his rod and his staff can comfort you. He can prepare a table for you in the midst of your enemies. And there won't be anything they can do about it. Because he is with you. If you have placed your faith in Jesus, if you are in union with him, goodness and mercy shall follow you and you will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You can bank that because of the presence of the Holy Spirit. I am the way and the truth and the life. Remember, John is just telling us things that Jesus said about himself, presenting him as an all-satisfying Savior. Jesus is everything. He is the way to the Father. He is the truth that answers every doubt. He is the life that makes existing hopeful and joyful even if sometimes it doesn't feel that way. I am the vine. Our union with Jesus is the ground of every single blessing. All the promises of God find their yes and amen in him. And on this Easter resurrection morning, hear these words, and I pray that you will be able to rejoice at the core of your being, no matter what else is churning in your heart. Hear the words of Jesus say, I am the resurrection and the life. Jesus is risen now to reign, and Jesus is risen now to lead his people to glory. His purposes in your life, they will not and they cannot fail. The reason is because he is both the author or the creator of your faith and he is the finisher of your faith. And for the record, Jesus is the greatest closer of all time. My point is that even if you're sort of joyful this morning and sort of not joyful this morning because your heart's conflicted because of the presence of doubt or grieving brokenness, maybe you're like Thomas. Maybe you're like the disciples who are fearful. Maybe you're like Mary, who's just overwhelmed with grief. Whatever the case, look to Christ. Look to Christ. Believe in Jesus. Behold your risen Savior. See him and let your soul be satisfied. 
This is the rather simple but profound reality to which we are pointed to next in our text. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them, although the doors were locked. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then presumably he looked straight at Thomas. And he said, Put your finger here and see my hands and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not doubt, that is, do not disbelieve, but believe. And Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. So perhaps the most striking aspect of, 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 of this passage is, is how, how Thomas can go in verse 25 from, unless I put my hand in his side, I will never believe. To verse 28, the second he sees Jesus, he says, my Lord and my God. This is why I say to you, your doubt is no match for Jesus. Your devastation is no match for Jesus. He is all satisfying. He could provide absolutely everything that you need. Once Jesus appears to him, he is so, that is, Thomas is so instantly convinced that Jesus is resurrected from the dead. It's not even clear if he actually takes Jesus up on the offer of what he had demanded just a few minutes ago. I mean, John doesn't even mention if Thomas actually did touch the wounds of Jesus or not. Or if just seeing Jesus alive and well was enough to satisfy his doubts and his soul. What is utterly clear is the conclusion that loyal, practical, realist Thomas came to, evidenced by his priceless response. My Lord and my God. And then the call to face faith for us by Jesus takes center stage. Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen me and yet have believed. The reality is that many people saw Jesus alive after he had been crucified. 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 6 tells us that he appeared to over 500 people at one time. And Paul, who's writing that letter, says, and most of them are still alive. The implication being, if you want to know what that was like, go ask them. They'll tell you. But the vast majority of people through the ages 
didn't see Jesus alive with their own eyes after he had been executed. Old Testament believers looked forward to the Messiah who was to come as they trusted in the promises of God by faith, just like we do. Because New Testament believers look backwards to the testimony about the finished work of Christ, and we trust in him by faith. Only a tiny percentage of people in the history of mankind actually saw Jesus with their own eyes, right? How many billions of people have lived since then? All of us are in exactly the same boat. We have to trust the testimony. We have to put our faith in God through the testimony given to us in Scripture. That's the plan. That was the plan. That is the plan. And that will continue to be the plan until Jesus returns. There is ample evidence to believe in the resurrection of Jesus. One of the most powerful eyewitness testimonies comes from a very practical realist. Would that describe you, perhaps? Do you tend to be skeptical about things like this? One of the most powerful eyewitness testimonies is from a man just like that, who adamantly refused to believe that Jesus was alive, that he had been raised from the dead. That is until he saw him with his own eyes, alive. I would go so far as to say that if you're not believing in Jesus, if you think that testimony is not accurate, you're going to have to deal with Thomas. Because Thomas is going to look at you and say, what is wrong with you? Could I have made it any more clear? Look, I'm telling you, I'm not some gullible person. I did not believe Jesus was alive. That is until I saw him alive. I'll tell you what happened to me. I just said, my Lord and my God. Because before I was going, hey, yeah, if I don't put my fingers right here, I'm not going to believe. The second I laid my eyes on my Savior and he was alive, I needed nothing else. I'm telling you, he was and is alive. Don't take my word for it. You're going to have to deal with Thomas. And you're going to have to deal with the Holy Spirit-inspired witness of the New Testament in the Gospel of John. If you feel comfortable refuting that, then you're taking your own matters into your own hands. Thomas was changed in an instant when he beheld his resurrected Lord. Whether or not he actually touched the wounds of Jesus, he saw Jesus alive with his scars and he believed. Because faith in Jesus is completely justifiable. Because he rose from the dead. How incredible that the glorified body of Jesus maintains the scars that forgave the guilt of our sin and shame and bore the full 
weight of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty against sin on our behalf. I am so glad that Jesus will have his scars in glory. It's back to our C.S. Lewis quote at the beginning. (laughs) Despite the unimaginable glories of what awaits us in heaven and on the new heaven and the new earth, despite the almost unthinkable things that we will behold and that we will experience in the fullness of the never-ending final chapter of cosmic history when Jesus comes back, the scars of Jesus will make it impossible for us to forget his merciful sacrifice that made our eternal life possible. Therefore, our voices will one day join the chorus in person. We will sing with, we will sing with angels I'm going to put one hand around one cherub, one hand around another cherub, which is kind of like worshiping next to Alan and Keith, and I'm going to sing for joy in the presence of God. What we're going to sing is this, worthy are you. Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And for all eternity, in, in person, we will continue to sing, worthy is the lamb who was slain, to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and, and blessing. Because we will sing to our risen Savior, reigning in glory, scarred, And our souls will be fully satisfied forever. Oh, what a day that will be. For now, let's just, let's just, let's just try to taste. Let's just try to taste a glimpse of that reality by faith. As we join, according to the book of Hebrews, as we join now with angels gathered to celebrate in heaven and with the souls of the redeemed who have gone before us as we sing to the risen Christ together. Would you join us? Let's pray. Father, it is overwhelming to consider your mercy in giving us a written account of the resurrection of Jesus. Thank you for testimonies like the testimony of Thomas. I pray that you would use the witness of what he said, the reality of your scriptures, and that you would cause us to believe. Believe that Jesus is raised from the dead. Believe that he is in glory now receiving our worship from little East Tennessee as we gather together with innumerable angels and with those who have run the race before us. So lead us through the presence of your spirit and by the power of your spirit now as we worship him. We ask in his name, amen.